Welcome to Season 2 of History, Politics, and Beer, the podcast that examines contemporary issues through the lens of history. Now, from the home office in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we invite you to sit back with an ice-cold one and enjoy the pontifications of your hosts, Matt Shockey and Jeff Hudson. All right, welcome back, boys and girls, to another edition of History, Politics, and Beer. I am sitting across from Dr. Jeff Hudson, and um, this time, Jeff, I, I bring the history and the politics at the beginning, and you always bring the beer, and I'm looking at a nice little six-pack here, Born Yesterday Pale Ale. Tell me a little bit about what I'm drinking. Well, it's from one of my favorite breweries, so Lagunitas. They started out in California, and like a lot of breweries, I think they've expanded. Uh, they've expanded to Chicago. And this is a pale ale. It's going to be. It says it has a virgin hops in it, which uh, I, you know, I didn't know they reused hops. So I don't know how you can be uh, a virgin hop. But they say they use them within 24 hours after oh. their picks. So. Okay. And I like uh, unfiltered beers. So do I. This is an unfiltered beer. I like the texture of it. Uh, well, taste it and see. You know, it might be a little hoppy, but it's not going to be an IPA hoppy. Let's see here. Let's give it a try. I, I, the unfiltered part is a redeeming quality of the beer. Okay. Um, it's certainly not IPA hoppy, like you said. Um, I'm giving it a B for okay. me. I mean, it, if you gave this to me, I, it's a solid beer. I'm going. I'm going to enjoy it. Uh, probably not something I would purchase myself simply because Still a little bitter. Well, you know, I, a little bitter. You know, okay. uh, but not real bitter. I mean, you could certainly. I, I like it. I you know I might give this an A minus and. Uh, I think it's a good summer beer. It has a, a little cleaner finish than that real bitter finish. It does. Some, it does so, have a nice which clean I down. like the cleaner finish, and especially if I'm if I'm at a barbecue or something, I don't want something real has a terribly pronounced finish. I want something that's uh, clean like this. So. Yeah. It yeah, does right. have a clean finish. I like I like the way you said that. Okay. All right. So anyway, uh, we want to thank everyone who came out to Tell Us 360 last week. Uh, we had a little um, get together with uh, the group CIRAC, uh from Lancaster County. They work with local refugees here in Lancaster County, and Church World Services was also there with us. And we had the chance to sit down with immigrants, um, a refugee, an asylum seeker, and also uh, somebody with DACA. Right. And we had about an hour and a half to. Discussion. It was really great. Uh, we had a, a good turnout. Uh, we'd like to do it again. So hopefully we can team up with CRAC again and Church World Services and do another one. Uh, give a little bit more of a heads up this time. This was our first we run. Might, we might have one of the people that was there at TELUS come in and do a podcast with us. Right. Uh, uh, the man's Mustafa name is Mustafa. Noor. You know, what's his last name? Noor. Noor. Uh, he's a refugee from Somalia and he has agreed to be on the pod. So we're going to try to sit down and interview with him. And also, so we'll throw it out there to our listeners. If you have some sort of event uh, that you would like us to participate, we would be happy to participate in events. Um, come educate, talk about issues. Uh, you have a group you meet with, for example, that doesn't understand the Electoral College. Jeff and I would be happy to come out and uh, talk about the Electoral College with you and uh, set things straight, so to speak. So anyway, feel free to give us a, a text we a text or an email, I'm sorry, History Politics and Beer at gmail.com. All right. So last pod, uh, we talked about the origins of the Democratic Party. 
today you know, and we try to follow them up a little bit to the present day. Right. So. And today we're going to talk about the origins of the Republican Party and what the Republican Party believes today. And then I think our future pods may be why Republicans and Democrats suck. We'll take another look at it and say what's wrong with the parties. Uh, what are their flaws, so to speak? Yeah, so, we, did, we didn't want to present either party from a negative perspective. Right. So if you're looking at us to trash the Democrats or trash the Republicans, we're not going to do that, at least not this pod. Maybe in future pods, we'll trash both of them. Um, so we need to talk a little about the origins of the Republican Party. Uh, for for a while, when the Democratic Party was formed at the age of Jackson, Andrew Jackson, it was uh, Democrats and Whigs. And Whigs, the Whig Party was formed as a direct uh, counter to Jackson. Uh, they said Jackson was like a king and like a monarch. And so the opposition to him took the name Whig, which was the party that opposed the king in England. So they kind of coalesced around this idea of being anti-Jackson. Well, you know, you can only really be anti-Jackson while there's Andrew Jackson. And this is not going to be enough to keep the party around long term. Um, eventually, the party is going to melt away almost instantaneously. And in a snap of a finger, uh, the Republican Party is going to be born. And the Republican Party is going to be born around the idea of being against the extension, the expansion of slavery into the territories. Uh, the federal government from the very infancy, even under the Articles of Confederation, had the stance that they, the federal government could regulate slavery in the territories. Uh, in the states, hands off, but in the territories, the federal government could regulate. Uh, there were laws passed in the Articles of Confederation. The Missouri Compromise is a great example of this, simply drawing a line and saying territory north is free, territory south is going to be slave, except for Missouri, uh, which was north, it was going to be a slave. Uh, but in 1854, things change. You get something called the Kansas-Nebraska Act, and eventually you're going to get the Dred Scott case. The Kansas-Nebraska Act and the Dred Scott case combined together, not to get into too much detail, rips from the federal government this power to regulate slavery in the territories. Well, you have the idea – they called it dual federalism at the time where the federal government could be in charge of, of one uh, – you know, a set of issues, a set of policies and the states were given uh, charge of some policies – and they were kind of co-equal under the right. idea of dual federalism. Right. So um, so it, instantaneously, it's almost ripped away from the federal government that they can't regulate slavery in the territories and slavery could expand. Uh, now, it wasn't really going to for lots of different reasons, but the principle was there that slavery could. So in a matter of really, it's almost instant. Uh, give you an idea, the, the Republican Party, the first meeting of the Republican Party is 1854. By 1856, there's a Republican on the ticket to win the presidency facing the Democrat James Buchanan. This is how fast things move um, because one thing – Free party, free soil people of the North could all agree on whether they were uh, racist uh, and didn't like black people or whether they were wanted absolute equality for everybody was that slavery. If you're in the North, slavery should not expand into the territories and the North coalesces around this idea and the Republican Party is born. Right. The the free soil party was right. kind of a little pre precursor to it. That didn't last very long. 
those guys move on to the Republican Party along with some of the refugee Whigs, right? Right. So, yeah, Lincoln was a Whig. So almost all the Republicans were Whigs first. Uh, In 1856, uh, John C. Fremont is going to be the first Republican nominee for president. He is going to win to the powerhouse candidate, James Buchanan, um, the only president from the great state of Pennsylvania. Buchanan uh, only serves one term. And then in 1860, uh, we get our first Republican president, Abraham Lincoln. Um, and the when Abe Lincoln was elected because the Democratic uh, Party had split. Right. There were the kind of the nationalist Democrats, and then there were the more pro-slavery Democrats. But even if the Democratic Party wouldn't have split, right. Lincoln still wins. Okay. Even if you add up those two electoral votes, they still don't have enough to take over Lincoln. Okay, those two parties' electoral votes. Right. Okay. So what happens then is – the Republican Party is a sectional party. It's only found in the North. There aren't Republicans in the South because the South wants the expansion of slavery. So what you get is you get an election of a president who did not receive one vote in the South. He didn't even appear on the ballot on the in the South. So the South sees this as a, 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 a tide has changed. The North doesn't need us. Um, they're going to run the federal government. We have become useless and they split. They see their power completely drained away and we're going to fight a civil war. Right. And, and they secede not because Lincoln said he was going to march down there and take away slaves. In fact, we, we talked about this in an earlier podcast. Lincoln uh, was went to great p- uh, pains in his first inaugural right. to say he's not going to do that. So the the South split on this question of the expansion of slavery. They knew Lincoln and the Republicans were not going to allow the expansion of slavery. They knew that eventually that meant more votes in the House and the Senate against slavery. And they were always worried from the time the country was founded that eventually the institution of uh, black chattel slavery would be ended by People in the North and people who didn't own slaves. And that's what they were worried about. And that's why they fired on Fort Sumter. Right. And it was, but they always made an effort to try to keep a balance in the Senate of, equal, of, of slave and uh, free states. But if you're saying slavery can't expand into the territories, that means every new state coming in is going to be a free state. Right. And eventually you're going to tip the balance so much that you're even going to be able to amend the Constitution. And again, this is attack on black chattel slavery, uh, which the South basically says, we're going to stop even before this party started. We're going to break away. All right. So uh, the party of Lincoln is the civil the party of civil rights. They're the party that's going to champion black freedom as much as anybody's going to champion black freedom. And they're the party of federalism. I mean, the fundamental question in the Civil War uh, was slavery, uh, but the state's insisted it was their right to decide, as we've just been talking. It's their right to decide uh, if people are going to be treated as property or not. And by the time the the Civil War uh, is over, uh, Lincoln has ended slavery through the Emancipation Proclamation in the states that were in rebellion. And you have the basis of the 13th Amendment is laid out and shortly ratified, which does. Legally, it is the amendment that legally ends slavery in the United States. But the the, the South 
their theory when they seceded was that, well, we came in as states, we had ratified as states, and so we were going to leave as – we can leave as states. We can have a constitutional convention. We can vote on it. have our legislatures vote. We can leave. And Lincoln was always insistent, no, we created an American people and that the Constitution authority rests on, as it, the preamble says, we the people. He refers to that in Gettysburg at the right. end of the Gettysburg Address of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth, the government of the people, by the people, for the people. So uh, by resting the authority on the people, if that's what the federal government is authority rests on, it bypasses the states to some degree. Right. You know, you are an American first. And what the Civil War decided is that's going going forward. That's right. You're not going to be a South Carolinian first. You're not going to be a Virginian first, as Robert E. Lee thought he was. You're an American first. That's the basis of our government. We, the people, the new American people. And so it, it provides the very uh, – the Republican Party are uh, big proponents of this very, very basic idea that really leads to an expansion of the power of the federal government and the power of the federal government over the states. Absolutely. And if you, if you look at the radical Republicans after Lincoln is assassinated in 1865, uh, they, ca- they take control of Reconstruction. They send um, – they break the South up into military districts. They uh, – the Freedmen's Bureau is created. They keep federal troops stationed in the South until 1877. This is a huge expansion of, of federal power. And And – the, probably the most important thing is they push through the 14th Amendment, which says that if you were born in the United States, you're a citizen. So that directly contradicts the Dred Scott case where right. they said Dred Scott's not a citizen. And if you're a citizen, you're entitled to uh, two things, due process of law and equal protection under the law. So by doing this, they apply the Bill of Rights freedoms – to people in the states. The Bill of Rights was initially designed to limit the power of the federal government. Through the 14th Amendment, they it also limits the power of the state government. And it, it expands the power. Again, a federal institution expands the power of the Supreme Court greatly, the 14th Amendment, because now they can, they can look at state laws, laws passed by state legislatures, and they can say, you know what? That's unconstitutional. You can't do that. You're violating the rights of a U.S. citizen. They may live in Alabama. They may live in Texas. They may live in Michigan. But they're a U.S. citizen, and you can't take away their rights to equal protection and due process. By 1877, the Republican Party in the North is growing fatigued of Reconstruction in the South. Um, And eventually, the Democratic Party – let's see. If you hear that, Jeff is having trouble opening a second beer. I, I had the same problem. The, the caps on these things were really hard to get off. It's like almost like I, there was something wrong with me. I can't – like I'm going back to second grade. I should get a sticker from my teacher if I can open up my can or zip up my zipper. Um, anyway, so when the Republican Party fatigues in 1877, um, what Jeff was talking about, the power of the federal government is sort of squeezed out of the South. And what we have is redeemer governments come back and the Democratic Party – takes a hold in the South once again. All right. So what? where does that leave us with the Republican Party? It leaves us with the Republican Party. The Republican Party becomes a party of expansion. 
of, of, uh, against the expansion of slavery. But also remember, the Republican Party is a party that's in the North. The North is becoming industrially based. And because of that, the, the Republican Party is going to follow a more pro-business, pro-industrial model because that's what its base is. It's in the North. And, uh, and, and one of the great boosters of the Republican Party for many, many years is going to be the Grand Army of the Republic. Yes. Which is an organization of union civil rights or uh, civil war veterans and they meet they meet all over you can you know the town I'm from Marietta had a chapter and they're very active and they're not going to vote for anybody but a member of the party of Lincoln the Republican vote as you shoot I think was something like <laughs> yeah. along those lines and, and and you know so so you had again in the north because obviously that's where the union veterans live so in the northeast in the Midwest, upper Midwest, it's just going to be – they're going to vote Republican for a couple generations. And it's interesting that you have Grant, a Civil War veteran. He becomes president. Rutherford B. Hayes is a Civil War veteran. He becomes president. I think maybe the last Civil War veteran Republican that becomes president it's is – McKinley. Is, is McKinley. You have Benjamin Harrison and then McKinley. Right. So you have four. So this is the group here. Right. And, uh, and they're going to, you know, basically for 50 years, the Democrats, because they are a regional party, more in the South, somewhat in the Great Plains, but more in the South, uh, they, the Democrats elect one president, uh, and that's Grover Cleveland. And the first superstar of the Republican Party after Lincoln is going to emerge in the early 20th century, and that's going to be Teddy Roosevelt. Um, and if you look at the policies of Teddy Roosevelt, he looks a lot like a Democrat, especially in his second – when he comes back to run against Taft. When he's a bull moose. When he's a bull moose. Uh, he's going to propose things like social security, universal health care, uh, things like – I don't know about universal health care. I might be speaking out of turn there. He was proposing a social security system. Right. I don't know if he was proposing US – I might have overspoke yeah. that one. Uh, but anyway, and he was pro-environment. He was setting aside land uh, for the environment. So he was doing a lot of things. He, you know, he, he was uh, enforced the Sherman Antitrust Act and broke up – Big businesses too, you right? Know, the malefactors of great wealth is what he called. But he was also pro-business in the sense that he was okay with big business. He understood that right. big business, as long as it wasn't a monopoly, he right. was fine with it. Um, and so the Republican Party is going to dominate the early part of the 20th century, and the one exception to that is going to be Woodrow Wilson. And we could really just probably do a whole podcast just on Woodrow Wilson. Yeah. Um, so we're not going to talk about Woodrow Wilson, sort of the one guy in the middle of all this that's a Democrat. But through the early parts of the 20th century, through the 1920s, we really get the attitude of the Republican Party of laissez-faire economics. Right. We are going – we're going to hands off. We're going to let the free market be free. Um, and the rising tide lifts all boats was well, the idea. Yeah, I think uh, you know uh, Calvin Coolidge who eventually comes to power when Warren Harding dies, dies. yes. And, you know, he is from Vermont. Right. He's a very conservative-looking guy. He lives his life in a very conservative manner. But I believe he said the business of America is – Business. Is business. And, and so now one He even compared going to a factories to, go, like, to going to church. Yeah. So it was really almost not only was capitalism, not only was the business of America's business, it's almost our religion. Well, the man who builds a factory builds a temple. Yes. And there's 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 that idea. And uh now one thing 
that, that some of these Republicans shared with Lincoln that that later on falls out of favor in the Republican Party is the idea of a tariff. Yes. Um, you know, uh, historically, uh, the Republican Party, starting with Lincoln and going through uh, McKinley and then even even later on, uh, they believed that there should be a tax or a tariff on imported goods in order to protect American businesses. Right. We're not, think, we're not thinking of a global economy yet, that a tariff is going to slow down the global economy. Right. We're looking to protect U.S. businesses. Right. We want American bikes and cars and steel and everything. You know, we, we, we want to protect that. And really, they don't see anything wrong with the idea of putting a little tax on imported goods to make sure American goods are more competitive. Now, the Depression, uh, when peak scholars study that, they, you know, they felt that these, these tariffs probably contributed to the Depression in each place, you know, whether it would be Germany or the United States, because people couldn't sell their goods. And in the end, they were a bad things. And the Republican Party is going to morph from a party that certainly believe in an enacted tariffs to a party uh, that believes in free what free trade. They want right. to remove as many trade barriers as possible, thinking that is what's best. And that is what is the most free in a free market system. <laughs> Just like the and history is going to repeat itself a little bit here. Uh, by the time Roosevelt becomes president, um, just like the opposition coalesced around the opposition to Jackson and formed the Whig Party, um, the Republican Party is not going to disappear. But the idea of resisting one person is and one policy is going to be really the the hallmark of the Republican Party for quite some time. And that's because the New Deal is born and the popularity of Roosevelt and the power of the coalition that Roosevelt puts together. Um, I wrote down here that from 1932 to 1980, there's only four uh, Republican presidents and the con Republicans only had a congressional majority only four years uh, in that 48-year uh, span. So for quite some time after the, after the New Deal, the Republican Party's probably main focus is opposing the policies of the New Deal and, and opposing the expansion of government. And here you can see a pattern uh, where, where you have a pivotal election, what some scholars can call it a critical election or a realigning election. And those things happen a lot of times – well, not a lot of times, but they've happened in American history when we faced a great crisis and one party seems to have successfully dealt with it. So the Republicans under Lincoln and subsequent – they put the United States together and it grows and becomes prosperous and everybody goes, hey, that worked. I'm going to – you know. So the Republican Party dominates basically from 1865, the rest of the 19th century, and the whole on, way into the 1920s. Yeah. And and then you know the, the Depression comes along. Uh, Hoover is initially very hands-off. Sometimes he's not given credit for what he did do, right. which is, you know, he, he did try with Reconstruction Finance Corporation. Right. That's stuff, a whole podcast in itself. Yeah, we don't want to get Unbearing into that, Hoover. But, but they wanted the people who are starving, don't have jobs, wanted their activist government. FDR comes along, gives them the activist government. And for a generate more than a generate, almost two generations – 
Americans are Democrats more than they are Republicans. He also he handles not only the Depression, but then we get into even a greater crisis, potentially World War II. We come out of that as victors in fairly short order in four years. So who are you going to vote for? You know, my my dad uh, voted uh, uh, Republicans later in life. But you know what? He liked FDR and he liked Harry Truman. Right. And, you know, he liked Dwight being a veteran. He liked Dwight Eisenhower. But he liked Kennedy too. Yeah, but, well, Eisenhower is sort of an anomaly even to throw him into the Republican pile. Uh, from my reading – uh, it, it was no one knew what side what his politics well, I think they really both, I, both parties pursued him for right long. so the fact that i mean he won because he was eisenhower he didn't win because he was a republican he could have run on bozo the clown ticket everybody liked dyke everyone liked dyke um so republican parties the republican party is going to is in this mode of cat, catching up through decades um then we're going to have a moment in the 1960s where there's going to be another realignment, and this, this is a tricky one to talk about. Um, well, you have what they call almost a de-alignment before you have the realignment, right? Almost, I mean, almost down the line, if you were African American, you were voting Republican. Uh, Martin Luther King was a Republican. There was no way a Southern black man was going to be voting Democratic. No. It just was unheard of. Everybody who uh, supported segregation in the South was a Democrat. Absolutely. Um, but – and by the New Deal, that's starting to change. Uh, there are more Democrats, at least in northern cities, who are voting Republican because they were the most hurt by the Great Depression, and also they were the, fir- the first ones not helped by the Great uh, the New voting Deal. Democrat. I said thank you. I said that backwards. Um, but after 19, by the mid 1960s, we see a complete reversal of this. And today, I think the Democratic, the African Americans vote the Democratic Party. I want to say 97, 96 well, percent. It, it's in the 90s, right you now. More in the high 90s. They and vote why? For the Democratic Party. Why do you have in that 10 year span? Do we have a complete dropping of one group? And switching to a completely other party. Well, it's this, the same reason that the, the the geographical base of the Republican Party inverted. Remember, it was in the Midwest, Upper Midwest, and Northeast. That was the the absolute base of the Repu- of the Republican Party. That's going to invert, and now the base is in the South and in the Plains states which were areas which were dominated by the Democratic Party. Well, it's it's the same reason, and, and that is the president that does the most to address uh, civil rights is going to be Lyndon Johnson. And he's uh, – Kennedy is going to call for a civil rights bill. He gets assassinated. Johnson uses his martyrdom in effect – uh, is helpful in, in, in Johnson passing the 1964 Civil Rights Act, and that's going to outlaw uh, discrimination in public places and in education. And in 1965, Johnson gets the Voting Rights Act passed, and Johnson was a white Southerner. He's from Texas. And uh, th- this might be apocryphal, but uh, after the, he signs the Civil Rights Act into effect, uh, some people said, well, we've lost the South for a generation. Yeah, more than a generation. Well, you know, what what did happen there? And what happened is that the Southerners began to see 
the uh, Democratic Party is the one willing to interfere with their institutions, uh, with what they felt were their state's rights. Uh, Republicans like Nixon would follow a Southern strategy. They were aware of this. They appealed uh, to uh, Southerners and gradually over time, some of the uh, people in the South, people like Strom Thurmond, who you know was the uh, first uh, candidate in 1948 of the Dixiecrat Party. The first, right. you know, they split from the Democratic Party. Well, eventually, this guy who had been a uh, a native and almost lifelong Democrat is going to switch to the Republican Party. They're going to see the the Republican Party as more. Um, amenable to their belief system. Yeah. So the Republican Party is – its base is changing. Um, they're also going to be taking on new issues. Social issues are going to start playing a role. Um, abortions going to start playing a role. Uh, labor unions are start going to play a role. Um, and opposition to big government is going to start playing a more prominent role. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about abortion and religion. Okay. We should note here – that uh, through the uh, 1920s, the the party of fundamental religion was certainly the Democratic Party. Uh, yes. I mean, they run the populist candidate, uh, Williams Jennings Bryant. And who was a very conservative Christian. Very conservative Christian. The guy who argued for the prosecution in the what they call the Scopes Monkey Trial, trying to prosecute – uh, the, a, a young teacher in Tennessee for teaching evolution, and they run him for for president. His most famous speech is, uh, is is about the gold standard, and he says, you know, he doesn't want to see mankind crucified on a cross of gold. He uses religious language, and the prairie, uh, the the plain states su- support him. He's a Democrat. This is going to reverse during the 60s and 70s, in part due to what is happening down south, which is a the south is a center of fundamental religion. And they're going those they're affected most directly by the federal government's uh, seg- uh, insistence that segregation will go away, but then also on issues like abortion. Later on, if we if we you know want to roll this forward, uh on issues like uh, whether uh, gays should be married or gays should be in the military. Those issues are not going to be popular in the more conservative, more fundamental South, whereas in the North, which is has always been more uh, heterogeneous, is, is those issues are the fact are going to be uh, one's that will be more popular in the north. So, the champion of the of the conservative movement in the sixties is going to be a man by the name of Barry Goldwater, um, and but the Republican Party is going to flounder in the seventies. Uh, one of the reasons is because of Nixon. Um, Nixon puts a lot of policies forward to look more democratic than they do Republican. Um, Clean and, Water Act, right? And he also then he does endangered not, species. <laughs> he also embraces the a lot of the economic systems during stagflation of price fixing, not price fixing, setting prices and things of that nature. That's going right. to push us further into the problem. The 
redefining moment for the modern Republican Party is going to be Ronald Reagan. Uh, and that's where I, you're the modern Republican Party is truly born, where conservative Christian coming along with strong military with the idea of small government. And we mentioned this in our last podcast where the, one of the problems with the Democratic Party and I say a problem and some people see it as extreme. It depends what side of the coin you're looking at is that the, Republic, the Democratic Party is – the umbrella is so big. And everyone brings something to the party. Everyone's bringing the own issue. So the party really has a hard time coalescing around one solid issue. Uh, what does the Democratic Party believe? Well, God only knows what the party believes because so many people are bringing so many it's, things it's to the table. It's going to be argued uh, for the next year in these debates with all these can, uh, people who want to be uh, get the Democratic nomination for president. You're gonna, they're going to argue about what the Democrats should believe in. And but, we're going to find out. But the Republican Party um, has a much more narrow belief system. And I don't mean narrow as in a negative. I just mean they, they can really – More sit, defined. Thank you. That's probably a better way. More defined. Small government, strong military, conservative values. That is one of the cores of the Republican Party. One of my favorite quotes from Reagan is, um, government isn't the solution to the problem. Government is the problem. And fundamentally, that sums up at least what the modern Republican Party should be thinking. Modern Republicans tend to think or at least should be thinking. About economics. Right, about economics. And you're right, Jeff. That's that's economics, uh, the economic part of it. Um, Then we had this chunk. Go ahead. Well, and then you got to – when Reagan runs for re-election, he was he win forty nine states something. Oh, like it's that. it's overwhelming. Yeah, it's a so uh, you know he did. You're you're exactly right. Jimmy Carter was the last New Deal president. Yes, and then Reagan, uh, you know, puts that to an end. He forms a new coalition, a new coalition of people who some of whom used to be in the Democratic coalition. White Southerners, white even union members, you know, uh, and and this new coalition becomes the dominant one in American politics. And the new Republican Party is born, the new right. Um, and then we have this block from Reagan to Trump. That's a really hard walk to walk. And I think what we're going to do at this point, I well, think it's the era of mixed government. Yes. Because at, nobody has the popularity in the Republican Party that after Reagan leaves the scene. You have George H.W. Bush, a guy I personally admire, but he's probably elected because he was Reagan's vice president. Yeah. And, and, and then you have a constant change and sometimes the presidency. Uh, the party that has the presidency doesn't have one or both of the branches of the legislative branch. So you really have an era of mixed government after that. Right. So we we go back. We have this period of really strong Republican president or Republican president president presence from post Civil War to the to the nineteen twenties. Then we go through this really strong Democratic dominated period, and then from nineteen eighty till present time, we, we're, we're mixed. No one's able to really set a firm set on firm ground. So I think what we're going to do here, Jeff, uh, is we want to call it – we're about 35 minutes and we're going to come back once in a couple of days 
and do part two of the Republican Party and talk about Reagan to Trump because I think that deserves its own time frame because we see a lot of change. And we're also going to be doing a lot of speculating on this because where we are today, I don't know where we are today with the Republican Party. Are we in the midst of a realigning elections or is this just a simple blip where the parties will kind of rubber band back to where they were. And I don't know where, I don't know what the answer to that is. Well, yeah, I mean, we had, uh, you know, party in control of all three branches of the government when Trump won the presidency. Two years later, the Republicans lost control of the House of Representatives. So to me, it seems like we're still in the era of mixed government. Right. So we'll come back in a couple days and pick up Republicans Part 2. We'd love to hear from you, historypoliticsandbeer at gmail.com. If you have an idea for us for a pod, we'd love to hear it. And also, if you'd like us to come out someplace, uh, we'd love to come out and meet you guys. All right. Thanks a lot.